0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, as we continue in our study on the King and the Kingdom. The Kingdom of Heaven is here. And uh, last week we we talked about the uh, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, by the way, we had a tremendous baptism this last Thursday night. It was beautiful. It was awesome. And you know how uh, last week, even last Sunday, I was talking about baptism, what it means that we're identifying with Jesus, and how. When someone in a family line gets saved, God doesn't want to stop with them, but his desire is that now I've got a stronghold in the family. He wants to save your entire family. Amen? Well, it was very cool um, that for me anyway, and I was baptizing with Pastor Sean, that we we had, I think, three whole families get baptized on Thursday night. That was so cool. Um, And... This one guy comes up to me, and he's got, you know, he's dripping wet from pants and shirt, and he goes, "Hi, Pastor Ray. Uh, yeah, we we don't come to Maranatha. We live too far, but we listen to you on the radio." And I'm like driving with my family down the freeway, and we look over at the coast. It looks so pretty, and I go, "Let's go, let's just just drive to the beach. Let's just go to La Jolla." So they drove to La Jolla, and they saw all these people, this crowd. Who are these people? Oh, they're Maranatha. Oh, is that with Pastor Ray? Yeah. What are they doing? A baptism. And they decided on the spot, the whole family got baptized with us. They just walked out in their clothes and got baptized. That was so cool. So anyway, we talked about how for us, on our side, uh, baptism is where you are publicly identifying with Jesus, uh, His death, burial, and resurrection. Well, now in the final verses of Matthew 3, verses uh, 13 through 17, we, this is the actual description of Jesus' baptism. So now we kind of get the other side. We get our side, identifying with him, but this morning we get to talk about his side because why did Jesus need to get baptized? It's for repentance of sins. He's the only human being that never sinned. He didn't need to repent. So why is Jesus getting baptized? Ah, This is the heart of it because Jesus chose of his own free will, out of love, to identify with all of humanity, which means he chose out of love to identify with you and with me. Is that awesome or what? It never surprises me when a human being falls in love and wants to identify with Jesus. It always amazes me that he would want to identify with us. Amen? So anyway, let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for today. so much happening, uh, and we need you, and we need to hear the word of the Lord. Father, I thank you that as we gather and we've worshipped together, we've prayed together, and we'll pray more at the end of the service. But now we want to hear... The word of the Lord, we need nourishment, we need wisdom, we need strength, we need direction, Uh, we need to hear the spirit, uh, that, that whisper of the Lord, where you take even out of these teachings and truths something personal that will be, this is for you, my son, this is for you, my daughter, hear what I am saying to your heart. May we all hear. What well, the Spirit says to the bride today, in Jesus' wonderful name we pray and ask all these things, amen. Okay, so beginning, where do you go? There we go. Um, with our, we, we've only got three life lessons out of this morning's message, and so um, right before we talk and get into the whole uh, baptism of Jesus, we want to talk about what about from the time he was two uh, until he was 30 years of age? That's a long time. What happened? We find out one story. Uh, when he was twelve, uh, Joseph, his father and Mary and his brothers, sisters, and he, he, they went to Jerusalem, and Jesus was answering questions and asking questions that astounded the wisest sages of Israel. The rabbis like, "Wow, who is this kid? <laughs> Where does he get this insight?" and Uh, But anyway, we don't hear anything else about from that time when he was 12 all the way till he begins his ministry at 30. They're called the hidden years, the quiet years, so to speak. What is their significance uh, and what may be the significance for you and I? Here it is. The hidden years are years of preparation, and they please the heart of the Father. When we're being just faithful, when we're being loyal, even in the hidden years, nothing major going on, nothing significant, God has a purpose. He's preparing us for something, even as he was preparing his son. So beginning in verse 13, we read this, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, hey, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? Um, So Jesus was raised in Nazareth. Nazareth is a little village. By the way, as you saw, we have this funny guy, comedian, that's literally from Jesus' town, Nazareth, the comedian that's coming on a Wednesday night. I hope you guys can come and listen to him. He's got a great spirit. He is funny, and he's quite the character. But Jesus was from Nazareth, and John was baptizing way down in the south uh, by the Jordan River. So far, far away uh, from uh, Nazareth, Jesus has come, uh, but in the meantime, he's, he's been for years carrying on the family trade up there in Nazareth, uh, the family trade of being a carpenter. Now, we believe most Bible commentators will tell you that we believe that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, died sometime shortly after Jesus was 12. Um, That's the last time we read about his father, when he was 12, and then he kind of disappears. And um, so it's assumed that, that Joseph died, which if you think about it, means probably as a teenager, it left Jesus as the oldest son, as the head of the household, and thus the provider for the family. We know that Jesus had at least six siblings, other brothers and sisters. And now that dad is gone, Joseph, uh, Jesus at a very young age has to provide for them. So from the time he's 12 all the way maybe till he's his early 30s, by all appearances, Jesus seems like an ordinary Jewish man. For all of those years, nothing unusual, nothing to make him stand out, uh, the only thing, he's a young man that was not married which was a little unusual in a small village made up of Jewish people where marriage was so highly uh, touted and so forth. But even a natural explanation, well, his dad died when he was young and he's got a responsibility for his mom and siblings. So even that could be kind of understood at some level. Only his mom, Mary, now that her husband is gone, only his mother Mary knew all of the strange circumstances of his conception and his birth, and she certainly must have pondered all those years where nothing seemingly unusual was happening. She must have remembered when there was an angel who came to me, Uh, and then there was that man when we took Jesus as a baby to get circumcised at the temple in Jerusalem, Simon, this old priest, came up and prophesied over our baby son, and then there was an elderly woman, Anna, the prophetess, and she had been looking and waiting for the Messiah, and she prophesied over him. So I I imagine for years, Mary treasured all of these remembrances, and then, most of all, her older relative, Elizabeth, uh, whose husband was Zechariah. He was an elderly man. He was a priest in the temple, and, and Elizabeth, and they were related to Mary and her family, But Elizabeth had also been caught up in this drama of having angels who appeared uh, to them as the parents, and they had a prophetic child, angelic visitations, miraculous inceptions, and John the Baptist was born, who was related. He is the cousin of Jesus. And Mary even spent the first three months of her pregnancy with Elizabeth who is also pregnant? Only she's six months down the road, and so her last three months of pregnancy before John was born. And surely Mary would have recalled that Elizabeth's unborn child had danced inside of her womb when she, when that baby heard the voice of Mary. Well, now all of a sudden, years have passed. We go from kind of the baby Jesus and the magi, and now. He's 30. He's going to the baptism. Years have passed. Zechariah and Elizabeth are long gone. They've gone on to heaven. And I'm sure that Mary wondered what had become of Elizabeth's miraculous child, John. He's been gone for a space of time. She hasn't heard anything about him. At the same time, her son, Jesus, Yeshua, has shown no political aspirations, Uh, He's gathered no followers, no disciples, no miracles. Nothing unusual is happening. He has just for years been quietly and faithfully taking care of his mom and his brothers and sisters. Hmm. I wonder, did Mary ever feel impatient? Like, when is something going to happen? Waiting and wondering. I wonder if she ever thought, did I miss it? Did I just make that up in my head? Did I really have a dream, or was that reality? Now, you know, and and life seems like it's just kind of average and mundane, and you're going through the routine of life. May I say that some of us as believers can have a similar experience. I love the fact that when, generally speaking, uh, you first get saved. Do you remember when you really first became born again? It's like, you remember the scales kind of like being taken off your eyes? I will never forget it. When I prayed uh, the sinner's prayer through the message of Billy Graham at a film and And I felt the presence of the Lord. I felt the washing and cleansing of my sins. I felt this lightness and this freedom. And all of a sudden, it was like the sky was bluer. The grass was greener. Everything, you know, it was like, I am a child of God. I'm going to heaven. I've got Jesus inside of me. It was awesome. It was amazing. I believe that whenever uh, there's a new birth, which is the best way to describe being a baby Christian, God gives a little honeymoon period. Everything's amazing and wonderful. You remember how, uh, you know, if, if you go to your family, you're like, wow, it's so obvious that Jesus is who he claimed to be. You're convinced if I could just sit my family down, I could get them all saved within 24 hours, right? And then you go and try, and they don't react, and they're like, what are you, nuts? What you're a fanatic. So then eventually you calm down a little bit, God allows. He protects us as infants and babies. Then all of a sudden, trials start coming. You're like, wait a minute. That didn't feel good. I don't like that. What do you mean there's a, there's a spiritual warfare? i got to walk around with armor? What in the world? i got to pray and intercede? There's trials, and that's normal? <laughs> and that's why Peter writes, and he, I think he's writing to young believers, do not think of it as a strange thing when fiery trials come to you. And all of a sudden, you realize, wow, man, it it seemed like heaven came into my soul so quickly, I thought I'd blink twice and I'd be in heaven, but it's hard down here. And people are mean on the earth. And there's wickedness, and there's trials, and it's discouraging. And how many of you have, have ever been impatient, like, can't we just get on with it and get on to heaven and enjoy eternity, right? What are we still doing here? And we begin wondering, was it all just a fad? Was it real? Have I really been born again and saved? Did, has God really done work? But you, you know, faithfully, loyally, uh, through the mundane, you, you have to just be faithful to the Lord and loyal to the Lord. And I want to say to you that all of this is divine preparation God is using it to prepare you and I for what he has in the future. I want you to go back to Mary for just a moment. So finally, word comes to Mary that John's ministry by the Jordan River has, and it probably came to her through her relatives. They probably went, Mary, we just went to Jerusalem. Guess what? Have you heard that John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, your family member, is preaching in the wilderness? at the Jordan River, he's calling all men to repent and be baptized. He has literally shaken Jerusalem and the Jewish world to the core. And when Mary heard that, I think her heart started to leap inside of her. Finally, this is the sign she had been waiting for. And then more reports start coming in. Huge crowds are going out to hear John the Baptist and now john is proclaiming the advent of the messiah is at hand the messiah is among you i'm going to be pointing him out and at the same time i imagine a 30 year old jesus coming up to his mom dusting the sawdust sawdust off of his hands saying mom i've provided for you my siblings are cared for everything that you have you now that you need you now have i must go down and visit john And so off Jesus goes to be baptized, and the advent of the Messianic age has begun. The years of preparation are over. The Messianic mission is full steam ahead. Now, we ourselves may find ourselves in a place where you are, you know, grinding it out as a child of God. You are trying to to be loyal and faithful in your marriage to your spouse— uh, to serve the Lord, to serve your children or your family, uh, to, to be honest, to walk in integrity, and, and there's nothing great. You're not changing the world. You just are loyally, faithfully, quietly serving Him. And you think, well, I'm not that big of a you know, deal within the whole spectrum of a God's Word. How wrong you are. How wrong you are. I want to let you in on a secret In the vast creation of the universe, uh, and this universe, you know how vast and big it is. And you know how tiny the planet Earth is. And then how much smaller you and I are, even though there are seven billion of us. I want you to know that earthlings in this present state are the object of the attention of all of heaven. There is no such thing as an insignificant human being. The very fact that you were created, thought up by God, and exist, and breathe, and have a pulse, you are unique. And I want you to know this. You are known in heaven. You play a unique role that no one else can fulfill. It may seem now insignificant, and you're just putting your head down, trying to be loyal, trying to be faithful, trying to do the best you can, and waiting until one day I get my reward and I can get to heaven. But I want you to know you are in for a surprise. Many of you are for a big surprise and a shock. The way we judge things, oh, it must be that if you have some big ministry and you have some big impact here and you're known here, that's going to really count big in heaven. Nah, not so much. Many stories, many parables, many ways that Jesus tried to communicate to us the values of heaven are very, very different than the way we look at things on the earth. And let me tell you what's going to happen. Uh, by the way, every single one of us, since we, when we get to heaven, there's no time. And, and yet every single one of us will in single file, there will come a time where you will be called by name and you will stand before the throne of God. And you want to make sure your name is in the book of life. Amen? But your name is called. But then rewards are going to be given assignments for eternity will be handed out. And I believe that there are some that are going to be shocked, and they're just going, wow, personally, I'm just glad I made it to heaven. It's like, I'm here, do they know? I'm here, I'm in heaven, you know? I would be happy sometimes, you know, if I could just get in heaven and hang at the edge of heaven by my hands like this, I'd be happy. But God says, oh, no, 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 here, you come here. In front of all my, before my son, the cherubim, the seraphim, the burning ones, all of the saints, and all of heaven, you will come up individually by name. And many, I believe, here's what the Lord is going to say. You were faithful and you were loyal. I gave you an assignment. You didn't think it was all that big a deal. You didn't think it was that important to be in that marriage or to be with that spouse or to endure those trials or to be in the place where you worked. Or to raise those children, but we had a far different view in heaven. In fact, what you did loyally, faithfully, even quietly, and your your loyalty to me during all of that, I am so blessed. I'm gonna, and then he's gonna roll back and say, Because you were faithful in just a few little things, I'm now making you a ruler over all these majestic things. And, and you're gonna be like, What? There's no way to correlate what little I did here to the vastness of my eternal calling and destiny there. That's the way it works. It's not about accomplishing great things or how many people are known or you know on the earth. It's about character. It's about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's about loyalty. And I think of the quiet years. Do you you know how pleased the Father was that the Son of God who was in heaven eternally with the Father and then sent to be born as a human being, and after he was two, from the time he was two to thirty, he loyally, faithfully was a carpenter and provider and role model and supporter for his mom, who was a widow, and for his brothers and sisters. And then when he was done, he dusted off his hands and he entered into the divine work, heaven on earth. I want to just encourage you, do not despise these days. Do not look down on being faithful with a few things right here. You are known in heaven. It is important. It is extremely important. It's valuable to God. And therefore, honor him. Why? Because what you are doing now is preparing you for a greater weight of glory down the road. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. So, having said that, verse 14, John tried to prevent him. Imagine if you, Jesus is standing in front of you. You're like, what is going on here? He says, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. It's as if John is saying to Jesus, I need your spirit and fire baptism not you, my water baptism. But then Jesus responds in verse 15, no, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what's amazing is, while it seemed strange even to John, who Jesus said is the greatest, there's none greater than John who have gone before him, it was another important step in the overall mission of Jesus to identify Jesus' baptism, his repentance was not for his own sins. His repentance was for the sins of all humanity and sinful man. He said, Father, you love them. You sent me to them. I love them. And now I totally am getting baptized and immersed along with sinful man, all of the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And in that baptism, I believe it was so that in his resurrection, he could lift us out of the predicament that we were in. Now, let's go on to the next second life lesson in the middle of the message here. We receive our identity from the Father. This is very interesting in verses 16 and 17. It says, and when he, Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold the heavens, that means the visibility all the way into the throne room of Almighty God, were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending from heaven like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. At the baptism of Jesus, for the first time in his earthly life, the creator of the universe spoke. The same God who spoke with words, everything in the universe, everything was created by the word of God. When God said it, it existed. It was. Light be, and light was. I love that. It means light came out of the mouth of God at 186,000 miles per second. He created him, and now his son gets baptized, and God spoke from heaven. Now, not everybody heard the articulation of words. Jesus heard it. John the Baptist heard it and saw the dove. But I think that there was like an earthquake. I think the whole universe quaked and was shaking, and the earth, and the Jordan River, and everybody is like... Oh my gosh, what happened? That didn't happen when all those other thousands of people got baptized, but when that Yeshua of Nazareth got baptized, the whole world was shaking because God had spoken. Why does God choose to speak now? Because the Father is giving the identity to His Son. Did you know that Jesus is our Lord? Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is our Savior. But did you know Jesus came to also introduce us to the Father? You have a Father, and he wants you to have a relationship. Many people relate to Jesus. Oh, he's human, he's kind, he's loving, he's gracious, forgiving. I love Jesus. God, I'm kind of scared of him. No, no, no. Jesus wants you to know the Father. The Father wants you to know him. You have an earthly father, but you have a heavenly father. And listen, child of God, All of us, including Jesus, His Son, receive our identity from our Father and by being in relationship with Him. Now, as I mentioned here in your notes, on three special occasions during the ministry of Jesus, God spoke from heaven and shook the earth and the universe. Number one is right here at Christ's baptism. Number two was at the transfiguration of Jesus, where He's up on a high mountain. He only took three out of the twelve with Him, Peter, James, and John. And for a moment in time, at the top of Mount Hermon, his skin, his hair, his clothing became like lightning kind of brilliant light, the Shekinah glory of God. But it didn't just flash, it remained. That, and the God spoke then. And then thirdly, as Jesus was on the way to the cross, praying, Father, please, if there's any other way for man to be saved, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, Father, glorify your name. And as God the Father watched His Son, you know, on His way to the cross, He spoke to His Son and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify my name again, basically through you, Son, through your death and your sacrifice and your resurrection. Awesome, awesome things that God spoke from heaven three times about toward His Son. Note this, that God at at the baptism spoke to His Son, And ever since his baptism, now God speaks through his son, Jesus Christ. And when God spoke that day, everyone knew Jesus was not just another man. They knew and would discover he is the perfect son of God, was identifying with you and me. He was different. He was unique, the only begotten. Now, one of the things he was also echoing is found in Psalm 2, verse 7. I put that in your notes. Uh, Let's read this scripture out loud together. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son. This day I have begotten thee. What does he mean by that? I I don't think he's referring there, the begetting, to the birth at Bethlehem, but rather it ties in perfectly with his baptismal experience of death, burial, and the begetting of resurrection. Listen, Jesus is God manifest in the flesh who died for us and in our place, and when He rose from the dead, He is the first human being to conquer death and arise from the dead. He was begotten, and in a new way, the beginning of all humanity and all who would believe in Him, He is the resurrection of the life. So I think it really focuses on the resurrection. Now, all of this also relates to Jesus Christ, As the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40 through 53. Some of you have never read the book of Isaiah. I want to encourage you sometime in the next couple of weeks to read specifically Isaiah chapters 40 through 53. If you have read it before, I again encourage you to read some of those chapters. Why? Because Isaiah, who was alive 700 years before Jesus, he, he prophesied 700 years and events of the Holy Spirit, and he began to describe and write down, it was put into the Word of God, a beautiful, manifold, multidimensional description of the Savior who was to come, called the Anointed One, called the Messiah, called the Servant of the Lord in Isaiah. And Isaiah gives all these different, Angles, perspectives, layers of this unique, glorious being, the Messiah. Number one, he's humble. He is God manifest in the flesh, but he's approachable. In fact, you say, how approachable is he? Little children ran to him, and he gathered them and hugged them and sat them on his lap, and he blessed them. That's how approachable that Jesus Christ or the Messiah will be. Secondly, though, he will do miracles. He will do things greater than any of the prophets that have gone before and things that have never happened before. Heaven will flow out of his mouth every time he opens it. Heaven and the kingdom of heaven will flow through his fingers whenever he touches sin or sickness or even death. Nature will obey him. But Isaiah goes on to say, and ironically... Though he's the most powerful, glorious, gracious, loving, humble, forgiving, perfect, miraculous human being who ever lived, he will also be rejected by humanity. He will even be made to suffer and to die, not for his own sins, but for the sins of his nation and the sins of the world. And then in the end, he will overcome death and overcome the devil and overcome darkness and overcome evil in the victory of resurrection forever and ever. All of that was found in the baptism of Jesus who identified with us. It was God the Father identifying His Son and the mission of the Messiah for you and I. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so now we're going to close uh, with our last third life lesson. And this is a, a, a unique one. There is, oh my goodness. Um, ah, there's, there's so many things that I would love to speak about, and things that are going on in the world, but I, I want to just say this: um, in First John, two thousand years ago, John, of course, uh, the beloved disciple. He's the one who wrote the Book of Revelation. He also wrote First, Second, and Third John. He is the, described as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and uh, and John was such a unique and, and an interesting character. Um, and he, he wrote about the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the kingdom. And, and he talked about there is a spirit of Antichrist in the world. He said that spirit of Antichrist was already existent 2,000 years ago. So I want you to know, because a lot of prophecy and you talk about the Antichrist focused on an individual, which I believe is a layer uh, and, and true in the end, but, but beyond that individual, there is a global, there is a spirit, and this is not, this is beyond the layers of human existence. There is a spiritual world all around us, all the time, and there is a spirit of Antichrist. It is a wicked spirit. It's a demonic spirit. It's a controlling spirit. It's a hateful spirit. It's a selfish spirit. It's a violent spirit. And that spirit is in the world to this very day. You feel me on that? That is very true. That's why we need the Christ. There's an antichrist, but there is Jesus Christ who, and this is the, this is the good thing it's not like there's a big battle coming. The battle was already fought and won and decided 2,000 years ago. Jesus won. Period. End of story. It's not like he's going to rule and reign. He is on the throne now. Everything. He is sovereign. He is providential. He controls everything that is happening. He even uses the enemy for his own purposes. But it's out there. So let me just say, this is a time for repentance and revival for such a time as this. Our nation needs it. What has happened in Charlottesville and the evil, vile, wicked spirit, anger, hatred, murder, racism, ugliness, filth, despising, is Antichrist. And what happened in Barcelona, driving cars and running over people, is a spirit of Antichrist. And it's vile. And we renounce it and we reject it and we rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And quite honestly, you know, we need to pray for our government and our, you know, the president and the government and the leaders and all of that. But the answer to what's happening is not political. It has to come from the throne of God. It has to come from the kingdom, power, and authority of heaven almighty to bring healing to this world. Can I hear an amen on that? We need repentance. And I want to say this. Do not be afraid of the word repentance. That was the message of John the Baptist, the message of Jesus, the message of the apostles, the message of Peter and Paul. Repent, it's a good word. What repent means is we don't have to keep going down this ever darker, meaner, crueler, hatred path. We can turn around and we will immediately be embraced and loved and forgiven and helped and healed and brought into the kingdom of the light of Jesus Christ. I love, in fact, we should, as believers, we like repentance. In fact, as a believer, you are to grow to say, I want to repent as often. I want every little vestige of demonic strongholds, oppression, lies, whatever, out of my life. That's why David says, search me, O God. You find anything, get it out. I'm sick and tired of darkness dwelling in my heart or in my mind. I choose not. I'm going to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, period. (laughs) I want to be filled with the Spirit. So we need to repent. Our nation needs to repent. Our world needs to repent. Our generation needs to repent. Now, how many of you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this, how many of you know tomorrow there's a solar eclipse? Does anybody know that that's happening? I'm going to talk about it, okay? Now, listen, yesterday, was it... Uh, or two days ago, Friday, Sean Stone and myself were on K-Wave and the radio, and they have uh, pastor's perspective on the radio, people asking questions, and, you know, we get to answer them. It's great. I loved it. It was fun and everything, and so this young man called, this nice young man, and he goes, so Pastor Ray, so like, is the rapture going to happen at the beginning of the eclipse or the end of the eclipse? (laughs) So I, I chuckled. Now, that's okay. He didn't know, and he's asking, and Apparently, you know, on the internet, all things go and people make all kinds of predictions and some apparently are saying the rapture is going to happen or the tribulation is going to start or whatever else. And um, no, that nowhere does the Bible say that this means, in fact, the whole point of the rapture is we don't know the day or the hour. Let's just make that clean. We don't know the day or the hour. It could happen. It could happen. In fact, if he wants to come tomorrow, I'll, I'll go. i I'm ready. But we do not connect those two things. But having said that, I want to say this. The whole world is watching this, the whole world's talking about it. And I believe that there are two extremes on this topic that must be avoided. The one extreme is that some are saying this is meaningless. This uh, solar eclipse has zero uh, biblical foundation, significance, prophetic insight. It means absolutely nothing. I think that that's naive, and I think that it's wrong, uh, biblically and for a number of reasons, which I'll share. The other extreme is, it means the end of the world has to happen on Monday, or the rapture is happening on Monday, or this is going to happen, or whatever. No, I I think those are extremes. So I want to share with you what I feel from my heart, and it's right about right down the middle of the road. Are you ready? Okay, so here's what I want to say. Here's what's happening. on August 21st. Now, here's what I want you to write down. Elul, write down the word Elul, E-L-U-L, one. You say, what's Elul one? This is the Hebrew calendar, if I may say the biblical calendar. August 21st doesn't mean anything. But tomorrow in the Hebrew calendar, Elul one means a lot. Elul one is, believe it or not, the beginning of the 40 day countdown to Yom Kippur, 40 days from tomorrow is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. The day of atonement speaks of Jesus Christ who paid for our sins and made atonement and then he rose from the dead on the third day. Okay. Now here's what's interesting. It is not a coincidence that this is happening tomorrow, the eclipse, on uh, Elul 1, which marks a 40-day period. The idea that God would use a sign to send a message goes all the way back to Genesis, where the sun, the moon, and the stars are described biblically as being signs for the appointed times. The appointed times are the feasts of the Lord. Now, our church has been... Looking at them, there are all seven of them in Leviticus 23. There are seven dates on God's calendar every year. There are four in the spring, Passover to Pentecost, three in the fall, trumpets, two tabernacles. And there's a summer gap where there's no feasts. Well, guess what? 2,000 years ago, Jesus fulfilled all four of the spring feasts on the very day of their divine appointment. All four of the spring feasts pointed to the first coming of the Messiah. I believe that this is the day and hour where the church should be focused on the three feasts left in the fall. By the way, the whole book of Revelation is about the fulfillment of those final three feasts. The next feast to be fulfilled is uh, the Feast of Trumpets. I believe it's a signal for the rapture. Then atonement, and finally tabernacles the coming of the kingdom. All three feasts in the fall point to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now here's what's interesting. You all know that Jesus fasted and prayed... For how many days? Forty days. days. Did you know that our Messianic Jewish brothers and sisters in the Lord, who believe Jesus is the Messiah, say it wasn't just any 40 days that Jesus prayed and fasted. It was from Elul 1 and the 30 days of the month of Elul. And then the next month is Tishri, the seventh month. All three feasts are in the seventh month. And on the tenth day uh, is the uh, is the feast of Yom Kippur so 30 plus 10 is 40. They believe it was Elol 1. In other words, what's happening tomorrow, that would have been the day Jesus began, This is what they say, began to pray and fast, and it ended on Yom Kippur, the day Jesus went into the synagogue of Nazareth, opened the Bible, read from Isaiah 61 and 62, and said that I have been anointed and called to preach the gospel to the poor and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and that it was a jubilee day when he shared that. Amen. It's all biblical Tomorrow is a very biblical day. Did you also know that they say not only was the 40 days of Jesus from Elul 1 to Yom Kippur, but remember a guy, a prophet named Jonah, who said judgment is coming to Nineveh, modern Iraq, and you have 40 days? They believed that it was the, it wasn't just some random 40 days, it was from Elul 1 to the day of Yom Kippur. And guess what? They repented, and God didn't bring the judgment. Now, This is fascinating as we look at this. I didn't put this scripture in notes, but if you want to write it down, Luke chapter 21, verse 25, Jesus gave signs, plural, for the second coming. Not one, not a couple, but a lot of them. Luke 21, uh, Matthew chapter 24, and he said, there shall be signs, plural, in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize the reason that solar eclipses or lunar eclipses have significance is because that's how God prearranged his calendar. It's ways—I'm telling you, basically 7 billion people with all the nutty stuff going on in the world are also going to be looking up. How many think that's a good thing? Look up! Now, they may not know what it means. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, he was an evil, vile, wicked, pagan, demon-infested dude, and all of it, you know, or Belshazzar or whatever, and and then all of a sudden, um, there's handwriting on the wall. How many would be freaked out if a hand appeared with no body writing stuff on the wall? And he totally freaked out. In fact, it says his knees smote one against the other, and he he loosed his loins. You know what that means. He was scared out of his mind. And he asked all of his, you know, soothsayers, astrologers, hey, what does this mean? And they go, we don't, we got a clue. Hey, there's a guy your grandfather had, and everybody does. Daniel, the prophet, the guy knows God. You better. So Daniel comes in. And Daniel says, it says, meeny, meeny, tickle you parson. <laughs> you meany, meanie, don't tickle the parson. No. Don't. <laughs> Here's here's he he and and this and everybody knew ooh this guy goes back to Nebuchadnezzar this guy's legit man he had dreams from God and he comes in and he goes here's what that handwriting means you king have been weighed in the balances of heaven and you have been found wanting and this very night your throne is gone wow I want to tell you this. The handwriting is on the wall, with signs, not one, not two plural, all over the place. And everybody's looked, and the world is looking at signs, but they, if they don't have the spirit of God, they don't know what it means. We, the believers, are here to tell you what it means. It means repent. These 40 days are days of repentance. Get ready. The king of heaven is coming and is on the way. repent means literally return to the presence of God. I I want you to read Psalm 27, which is associated with repentance. Repentance means not only turning from sin and doing what is holy, but it means returning to the presence of God. And I'm praying for the manifest, felt glory of God to come and bring revival. So here's what I'd like to do. Uh, Oh, I wanted to show you one more thing. Did you know seven years from now, another solar eclipse is coming? And by the way, this one that's up here, it starts, uh, the first place it touches Oregon, and and the first place it shadows is the city called, does anybody know? Salem. Do you know what Salem is in the Bible? The original name of Jerusalem a lot of people all over, you know, they're saying, oh, this is about America. No, no, no. From God's it's all about Israel. It's all about praying for Jerusalem. America's related to that, but it starts there, and it goes. Now, the path, you'll read, well, it's like 70 miles wide, some have said. Did you know others have said, well, actually, the, the average of the shadow is about 67 miles wide. If you know the Bible, in our history recently, what does 67? Have any significance? 1967, the Six-Day War in Israel, where they came to divide the land and reclaim the land. Seven years from now is another solar eclipse, and it makes like an X. X marks the spot. <laughs> um, now, what's interesting about that is, guess when that one begins? That one begins, if you want to write it down, on Nissan 1. The, our calendar is not what's important. The, the Hebrew calendar, it's Nisan 1. What's Nisan 1? That's the beginning countdown to Passover. And if you look at this, do you know what this, that, that X, if you knew Hebrew, that's a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Do you know where in Greek it says, Jesus said, I am the uh, Alpha." To the Omega. In English, it would be I'm the A to the Z. In Hebrew, I'm the Aleph to the Tav. And the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet looks like an X and is called Tav. And in fact, maybe a symbol of the cross. Could God be calling America for such a time as this to repent and come to the cross of Jesus Christ for such a time as this? Amen. So let's all stand and let's pray. I want you to lay hands on one another. I want you to join with me in agreement. There's power. Prayer is powerful. Prayer in agreement with more than one is mega powerful. It brings supernatural, divine, heavenly power when we come into agreement. Why? Because that's what heaven's like. There's not disagreements, fights, and civil wars. That's why it's called heaven. (laughs) But you got to come into agreement. So you be in agreement with me, and let's pray for our country, our nation, our world, and our generation. Father in heaven, we come before you in the name of Jesus, your Son. And we don't understand everything that is happening, but one thing we know, nothing is by coincidence. And everything means something. And you are speaking to the whole world, and quite frankly, the whole world tomorrow is going to be looking up to the heavens, and the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows your handiwork. Day unto day at her speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. It all points to the power of God and to the creator of the universe, and the Father points to his Son and to the cross. We, as a world, need to repent. And though we see the spirit of Antichrist fomenting and disgusting and evil and demonic, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. We renounce it in the name of Jesus. And may you, Lord, use such a time as this To open once again the windows of heaven above us, that divine outpouring of your spirit that you promised in your word, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your men shall have visions and your women shall have visions and dream dreams and your young men and women shall prophesy the coming of the Lord and pointing and lifting up Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray that rather than getting caught in politics and getting caught into the wiles of the enemy and divisiveness, even within our families, we want to be bearers of the light, bearers of the gospel, bearers of truth, prayer warriors that will bring forth the kingdom of heaven, salvation, restoration, and revival to our country and our families, our community for such a time as this. We ask it, And thank you, we know we're praying according to your will. Therefore, you've heard our prayer and will answer it in the days to come. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen, hallelujah, let's worship. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranoffthechapel.org for more information.